Good morning. Great to be with you this morning and worship with you this morning and uh, look into scripture together this morning. Uh, my name is Andrew. For those of you who do not know me, hello to those watching from home or wherever you are online. And so a slight change of plans this morning. We'll be talking about Jesus as King, certainly, but our title this morning is Greetings, O Favored Ones. So why does, Chris, why does Christmas matter? Because if God came into this world as baby, as a baby, simply to become human, it would be fascinating, mind-boggling, a very important story, no less. If, if he truly came into this world as a baby for you, suddenly you might wonder what his purpose on earth was and why, he need, why you needed that at all. The story of Christmas is that God came into this world as a baby, and though perfectly innocent, he died a criminal's death for you. And if it is true, it changes everything. Our main idea this morning is that Jesus, though fully God, became fully human to save us from our sins. He is worthy of our full trust, our full surrender, and our rejoicing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us in this place as we are gathered together to worship you and to behold you and to learn of you. We thank you that you came near. And I thank you that when you rose again, you sent us your spirit and so you live within us. Lord, what, what a wonderful thing. And so we pray that your spirit would guide us, that we would have hearts that are open to receive what you would tell us. Lord, help me to be clear. And Lord, help us to um, walk away with a greater sense of who you are in full trust and surrender and worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So two weeks ago, we heard about a few prophecies which were written more than 400 years before Jesus' birth that predicted his arrival. Last week, we heard about the first of two birth announcements. The angel Gabriel tells Zachariah that he and his wife Elizabeth would soon have a son named John, even in their old age, who would prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, the promised king. Now, once Elizabeth conceives, she hides away for five months. So our story this morning begins right after these five months. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So as I said, we are now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And we find ourselves in Nazareth. 
The angel Gabriel's prior two visits were related to the coming of the Messiah, or in Greek, the Christ, the promised one who would rescue Israel. The angel Gabriel meets Zechariah, as we saw last week, in a very important and religious place, the temple in Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies. Now he's being sent to a little town, little known town, and a little town, called Nazareth. It didn't have a great reputation. As in the book of John, chapter 1, someone says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So who does Gabriel visit in this small town? In verse 27, we read, a virgin who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So he visits Mary, who's betrothed. What is betrothal? It's a legally binding commitment, kind of like engagement, but it's legally binding. Uh, it's to marry that usually lasted a year. Consummation of the marriage uh, and living together happened only after, this, after the big celebration that happened a year later. So she was betrothed to Joseph. And the one thing that Luke tells us about Joseph and tells us twice was that he was a descendant of David, a king who was told in the Old Testament that one of his descendants would be an eternal king. Mary. Mary was a girl, most likely in her mid-teens, in a culture that primarily valued experience, skills, and wisdom of the elders. Being a girl at that time, she would not have been considered a credible eyewitness in court, and she would not have been offered the same education as boys, if any at all. We also know that she was poor. Even after marrying Joseph, in Luke 2.24, the sacrifice that she and Joseph presented at the, te at the temple was only allowed in the cases of case of severe poverty. So Mary is a picture of someone who was powerless, lowly, insignificant in the eyes of the world on the basis of her age, her gender, education, her finances, and her hometown of no reputation. And we learn that Mary is a virgin, and that when, Mary, when Gabriel addresses Mary, he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Mary is first addressed, not by her given name, or something about her social status, but as a recipient of God's favor, which in Greek is the same word for grace. Unlike Zachariah and Elizabeth, Mary is not given a glowing description of merit, like they were, they were righteous before the Lord, walking blamelessly before him. No important pedigree was hers, no claim to fame, no reason for God's favor. Mary is the recipient of God's undeserved favor, a recipient of his grace, of his kindness toward her, not because of Mary's deeds, but because of God's goodness to her. And we read that she's greatly troubled at the saying, greetings, O favorite one, the Lord is with you. It would seem quite normal for Mary to be filled with fear because of Gabriel's presence, as Daniel and Zechariah were. But Mary is greatly troubled at the saying, at this greeting. Now here we have a picture of uh, the late Queen Elizabeth's signature on a letter. Now the King of England, 
still sends birthday letters to any Canadian turning 100 years old. Pretty special. But there's a form you have to fill in, just think about it. Um, now imagine if you didn't fill in the form, because it's not your 100th birthday, and you have a messenger from the king surprise you in your living room with a message from the king. That would definitely have me on edge a little bit. Now imagine you're a 15-year-old girl in a small town, and there's an angel with a message from God in your living room. She's understandably troubled. What is this message, and why me? So Gabriel repeats himself to reassure her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So what is this favor or grace that she will be shown? We read, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So the favor that Mary will be shown is that she will conceive and give birth to a son. This boy would come with a name already given from God. Mary is instructed to call him Jesus, which means the Lord, which referred to the uh, he, the name of God, Yahweh, saves. And in Matthew, Gabriel explains he will be called Jesus because he, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. But who could forgive sins except God alone? The first thing we learn about the boy is his mission on earth, a rescue mission to save people from their sins. Since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, infinite distance had been created between God and humans. But God promised in Genesis 3 verse 15 that a human would be born who would defeat evil and so rescue people from their sin. Jesus came to reconcile us back to God. We read that he will be great, which when used alone is an adjective only for God himself in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 17. He will be called Son of the Most High. Most High is a known description of God in the Old Testament. And verse 35, we'll see, confirms this name with Son of God. We read, He will be King forever of the line of David in verse 32 and 33. Here we hear, here we hear echoes of Old Testament prophecies. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 2 to 14 and 16, God said to King David at the time, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall, we be, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So what have we learned from part one, that unexpected greeting, and two, the birth announcement? Jesus, human son of Mary, divine son of God, will be great, holy, and will be king forever. 
and because he is named Jesus, we learn that he will save his people from their sins. This is the baby boy who will be born to Mary, the poor, only partially married teenager from a little-known town called Nazareth. He could have appeared with infinite, infinite power, a show of strength to make humans tremble and bow down, infinite glory, breathtaking glory and beauty to make them stand in awe and worship, infinite wisdom, clever arguments, and incomparable knowledge to show us his supreme intellect. But Jesus, the promised king, did not come with glory or power or wisdom, but stooped infinitely low in humility and took up vulnerability, coming through pregnancy and childbirth. Now, I want you to take 30 seconds, well, actually take close to 30 seconds, to call to mind and visualize any babies you have known. Think about their little hands, their little faces, the sound of their cry. Go ahead. This is a very long time, actually, so we're just going to cut it right there. Just keep on thinking about them. At the first Christmas, Jesus became a baby. Creator became created one. All-powerful God became weak. Invincible God became vulnerable. All-sufficient God became dependent. All-knowing God became a child who would grow in wisdom and learn obedience. Majestic God wrapped himself in humanity and swaddling cloths in the manger. Holy God would dwell within a womb of a sinful human. God went through childbirth, breastfeeding, had his diaper equivalent at that time changed, learned how to speak and take his first steps. We hesitate to even speak like this, but this is how God chose to come into the world, fully human, fully God. Jonathan Edwards speaks in one of his sermons of how only in Jesus, infinite highness meets infinite condescension or lowness. Infinite glory meets lowest humility. God become baby. Why? To rescue us from our sin. And God chooses Mary, a lowly, poor mother, and Nazareth, both insignificant in the eyes of the world, unfit for a king's arrival. But God had often chosen the weak and seemingly insignificant people of the world to accomplish his great purposes. The choice of Mary and Nazareth is a confirmation that Jesus, as God, would continue to use the weak to accomplish great things in his kingdom. And the type of person that Jesus would surround himself with as he began his ministry, the insignificant, the humble, and the repentant. So now I'd like to ask uh, Ishi to come up and join me, take a little pause from all this speaking, and uh, she has a song to sing.
Back to our story. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? There had, been never, there had never been such a thing as a virgin conception. But Mary has the faith to know that this pregnancy is going to happen. She just doesn't know the way that it will happen. So Gabriel explains. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, 
the Son of God. Through the creative power of the Holy Spirit, there will be a conception, and the eternal second person of the Trinity would have a body. And because it is the action of the Holy Spirit, the child will be called holy, consecrated, set apart for God, but also perfect and pure. And he finishes with, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So we see Mary's first response is one of surrender. When we see that Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Unlike Zechariah, who we saw last week, demanded proof, Mary stands out for her humble, submissive faith. Her reason for accepting the plan is not that it's perfectly clear, reasonable, and kind of appealing to her for her own benefit. She accepts it because she sees herself as what? The servant of the Lord. Her purpose is to serve him. Is it sometimes hard to accept God's plan because we don't fully understand it yet or it doesn't make sense to us? Mary may not have understood the full scope of the plan she was accepting, but she knew the God whose plan it was, and she was his servant. Mary has a second response. It's one of rejoicing. We don't have time to fully cover this song here, but it is beautiful. Uh, in verse 46, and we notice that from her rejoicing, what we learn is outcomes all kinds of truths from the Old Testament. After rushing to Elizabeth's home in Judea, Mary bursts into a song of praise that bears many similarities to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2 in the Old Testament, who was also rejoicing about the son that God had given to her after she had been barren. She, Mary sees herself as among the many who had been the recipients of God's grace and providence and sees her God as the one who kept his promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through his offspring and now she sees through her own offspring. And somehow, without formal education, but certainly through the words of Scripture she would have clung to in synagogue on the Sabbath, she had come to see the goodness and the faithfulness of God and had learned to trust him fully with her life. Now God has shown her the favor of sending her a son who would be the savior of the world. So she very appropriately responds, how? In rejoicing and worship. Far more important than the details of the plan was the God whose plan it was. She must have realized soon enough that God's plan for her included suffering. Because the only response that her neighbors in Nazareth would have once they saw that she was pregnant and still not married would be judgment and rejection. 
she would be treated along with Joseph like second-class citizens, and that wouldn't go away quickly. But Mary would bear the social stigma of this pregnancy, this pregnancy brought about by God, for the joy set before her of bringing her boy into the world, the king who would save his people from their sins. Mary could not have known that her son Jesus would himself live a life of suffering and rejection by his own people and even by his hometown of Nazareth who tried to kill him. And in, in what would be any mother's worst nightmare, but our only hope of salvation, her son Jesus bore the shame of the cross to save all people from their sins. We read in a prophecy written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, in Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And through all of this, Jesus had his joy set before him, the joy of pleasing his Father and the joy of paving a way for all people to be, to be saved from their sins. We read in Hebrews 12, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christmas changes everything. Christmas is but a foretaste of the lengths that God himself would go to bring you home to him forever. It is the beginning of the largest rescue mission of all time, when God became a human baby. The eternal, divine king came to defeat all evil, to disarm the power of sin in all lives, he conquered sin and death forever by giving up his own life, by taking on our sins as he died, so that he could destroy evil without destroying us. And because he rose again and lives forever, we can live forever too. When we acknowledge that Jesus is our king and rescuer, he takes on, he takes on our record of wrongdoing, and gives us his perfect record. Jesus took on our punishment so that when we die, we are received as favored ones, as those who are covered by his grace. And nothing can change that. Do you know Jesus this morning? You might not know him, but he knows you intimately and invites you to get to know him. You might think about continuing to read the book of Luke. You might consider telling him that you're looking for him. And if you look for him, 
you will find him. If you do know Jesus this morning, one of the following six questions might be for you. Don't be overwhelmed by how many questions there are. Just pick, just pick one or two. Are you still seeking the recognition and the applause of those around you to feel that you're okay, to feel worthy? Look longer at Jesus, the eternal King, who willingly set aside his powers and glory in order to save you out of his great love for you. Do you feel certain tasks or even other people are beneath you? Look to Jesus who chose to be born into poverty, befriend social outcasts, and serve the poor, even washing his disciples' feet, even though all the fullness of God dwelled within him. Each person around you is precious in the eyes of God. Do you feel so limited that maybe God cannot use you? Hear the words given to Mary. Nothing will be impossible for God. And remember uh, through, um, that, through, that God changed the history of the world through a teenager. No perceived limitation of your own can limit the work of God through you. Nothing will be impossible for God. Do you feel rejection? Remember the rejection that Jesus experienced for your sake. Do you feel weary and misunderstood? Jesus, though fully God, became human and understands weakness and weariness and can help you through it, as we read in Hebrews 4, 15. And last question, how do you see yourself primarily? What comes to mind to do with your position in your family, at work, your skills or abilities? Mary saw herself as the servant of the Lord. She was greeted as a recipient of grace. But let us not stop at Mary's great example of humility, submission, and faith. They point to the infinite greatness and trustworthiness of the God that she worshipped. They point to the infinitely greater example than her of humility, submission, and reverence of her baby to be born, through whom we may all become favored ones, recipients of grace. He alone is worthy of our full trust, our surrender, and our worship. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we can hardly wrap our mind, minds around the fact that that baby in the manger, that baby who for nine months was growing in Mary's womb, is you. King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for coming. We thank you that you fully understand us. You fully understand suffering, fully understand temptation, 
And we thank you, Lord, that you were faithful and obedient and that you went to the cross and that your work on the cross is finished, that we are saved by grace and this is forever. Lord, may we be people marked by grace, that we know that we deserve nothing but punishment, but we've been welcomed into your kingdom as your sons and daughters, Lord God. And help us to know that nothing can change that. And nothing can separate us from your love. Let us respond, Lord, in our every day, whether at church or at work or in our families, in surrender and in worship, no matter what your plan may bring. 